Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. The disclaimer here is that even though the topic that we're going to talk about today seems really countercultural today uh, in our in our day and age, uh, I would ask you two things. One would be to just hear me out, to just listen through the whole thing, and then you know you uh, you can determine whether you like it or not. And then the other thing that I would ask you, and and ultimately that the thing that I'm asking the Lord, the thing that I pray for is that. Uh, that you would ask God to give you understanding of his word, to uh, ask God to speak to you through his word, because ultimately the message that I'm about to preach is coming from the Bible, from the word of God. Ephesians 5. Yeah, Ephesians 5. Uh, The message that I'm preaching today is coming from the word of God. And we believe that the Bible is, um, you know, is the way that God communicates his will to us. And therefore we want to listen to the Bible. We want to obey God in what he has already said in scripture. So first of all, let's just pray and let's, let's ask for God's, um, for God's guidance. So please join me in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself in the Bible, you have revealed your will in the Bible. Thank you, you have revealed yourself in your son, Jesus, as he is the one who has perfectly fulfilled your word. He is the word himself. And God, I pray that as we, as we look at this passage from the Bible, that you would be the one speaking to us, that you would open our hearts, that you, that you would open our minds, that you'd give us understanding and that you would transform our hearts, that we would see the glory of your gospel, that we would see the love that you have for us, that we would see the sacrificial love that Jesus has for us and how he gave himself up for us. Lord, I pray that you fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you fill me with your spirit to proclaim your word without any, without any fear, Lord, but with boldness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to read Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33. And I will ask you to stand if you are able uh, for the reading of God's word. Ephesians 5, 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So now that we've read the passage, 
I trust you can see why I said what I said at the beginning. Um, before we dive into the, the two clear commands that we have here in this passage, which is for wives to submit to their husbands and for husbands to love their wives, I do want to talk a little bit about the context of this passage. Because as you can imagine, a passage like this, or, or ultimately any passage in the Bible, could be taken out of context and used for whatever you want it to be used, right? Imagine that someone took just these few words, wives, submit to your husbands, out of context. I could do whatever I want with that phrase, right? I could, I could abuse uh, my authority. I can, I can abuse my role as a husband and, and uh, you know, have my wife do whatever I want her to do because I'm taking a passage out of context and saying, see, God says that you need to submit to me, therefore, submit to me. But that would be overly simplistic, right? That would be not really understanding how to read the Bible. And one of the key uh, rules in, in understanding the Word of God is understanding it in context. And so since we have been away from the book of Ephesians for for a couple of months, feels like, uh, I want to go back to, to pretty much all of the context of the book of, of Ephesians. And so keep in mind that these commands, the command of wives to submit to their husbands and the command for husbands to love their wives are given in this particular context. Paul here is talking to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. This is a, a group of believers in Christ. And so these are some of the things that Paul is telling them uh, that, well, let me rephrase that. Paul in this letter is telling the Ephesian believers, these are the benefits that you have as a Christian. These, or, or this is your identity as a Christian. And so in chapter one, Paul tells them, since you are believers, since you are in Christ, you have received every spiritual blessing. Since you are in Christ, you have been chosen by God. You have been adopted by God. You have been given the Holy Spirit. You belong to God. You are God's inheritance. You belong to him. And then he goes on in chapter two to talk about how before Christ saved us, we used to be dead. We used to be spiritually dead. There was nothing we could do to save ourselves. And so for Paul in, in Ephesians chapter two, salvation means that you have been brought from death to life, that you were dead in your sins and trespasses, but now you have been made alive with Christ. And then he goes on in, in, in the second half of chapter two to remind the believers in Ephesus that they used to be aliens and strangers. They used to not belong to the people of God, but now in Christ, they belong to the people of God. They are members of the family. They are members of the household of God. And so he goes on to talk about the implications of having passed from death to life, from having passed from being an alien to being a citizen of God's kingdom. And here are the implications. And the implications, if you remember, he mentions them in terms of walking, right? So in chapter four, he says, uh, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And he, he develops that by saying in the second half of chapter four that they should walk, or, or he says, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do, as the unbelievers do, but you should walk as children of light. You should walk as God's beloved children, right? Let me, let me read uh, in chapter five, verse one. This is what Paul tells him. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Later, he tells them, you need to walk in light, not in darkness. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so basically what Paul is doing, he has told the believers, he had told the Ephesians all of the blessings that they're theirs, what it means for them to be Christians, but then he is giving them the implications of that. And one of the implications that he is giving for believers is how they should behave in the household, right? So he's going to give instructions to husband and wives. Later, he's going to give instructions to parents and children. And then he's going to give instructions to masters and servants. Um, and so 
at first, these might seem like uh, um, kind of like arbitrary, you know, rules for the household. Like, okay, what's the point for these rules? Uh, but as we will see, we will discover that these household rules have very, very deep implications. And I'm going to say, it, you know, from the get-go, the deepest implication of the household rules for marriage, for the love that a husband has for his wife and the submission that a, that a wife shows for her husband is that marriage displays a mystery, like Paul says here in chapter five. And this is the mystery of the gospel. He is saying that when husbands love their wives, they are displaying the love of Jesus for the church. And he's saying that when wives submit to their husbands, they are displaying the submission that the church has for Jesus. So in other words, Paul is saying marriage is not just this random human institution. Marriage is actually a God-given institution where you get to proclaim the glory and the beauty of the gospel because of the way that you behave with your spouse. So let's talk about, um, let's talk about verse 21. I, I included verse 21 there because I believe it's, it is an important part of the context for this, for this passage. The, the more immediate context is Paul is telling them to be filled with the Spirit. Paul is commanding the believers in Ephesus to be filled with the Spirit. And one of the implications of being filled with the Spirit in verse 21 is that they will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so he is saying not only to wives, but to husbands, he is telling them that Christians are to be submissive. And that was definitely not a, a value in the Greco-Roman world that this book was written. This is not a value in our world either, in our society. But for Paul, it was a deeply Christian value to be submissive. Why was that? Well, because Jesus, our Lord, exemplifies that submission, right? In Philippians 2, Paul is writing about Jesus. And even though he does not mention the word submission explicitly, he is hinting at it when he says that Jesus humbled himself. He is hinting at it when he says that Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He, he turned down the right that he had of being in equality with God and he became a servant. He became a man and he came to die for us. And it also says that he obeyed his father to the point of death and death on a cross. So Christians are called to be submissive and humble because we serve the Lord Jesus who perfectly submitted to his father. We serve the Lord Jesus who perfectly humbled himself and gave up his life for us. And therefore every believer, everyone who is filled with the Holy Spirit is called to be submissive. I'm also reminded of when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and Mark describes this in chapter 14, verse 34. And Jesus is feeling awful, right? He tells his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And he said, and he prays to his father. He says, Abba, father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. He is asking the father to remove the cup that he is about to suffer on the cross. But then look at his submission. He says, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus showed a perfect example of submission and obedience to his father. Therefore, all believers are called to volunteer. And, and this, this, I believe, is the definition of biblical submission. All believers are called to voluntarily yield to others. All, all believers are called to voluntarily yield to their fellow believers, to voluntarily yield to the people that God has placed over them. So let's dive into the, into the commands. Paul says to the wives, wives, 
submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I think one of the difficult things about this passage is how simple this command is. And, and by simple, I don't mean like how easy, right? Especially with men like us, I'm sure that wives are like, simple? Oh, you don't know my husband. Submitting to my husband, that is not simple at all. But what I mean by simple is there's not really a lot of developing of this point. It literally just says, wives, submit to your husbands. And he does give some example of, of the, the church in Christ, and we'll get to that. But I was just wondering like, well, how is this any different from the cultural expectation of the time? And I believe that Paul doesn't devote that much time into this particular command for wives because seemingly, apparently, the idea of wives submitting to their husbands was not really that countercultural for the Roman, for the Greco-Roman culture. Today is extremely, uh, it, it's extremely countercultural, right? But at that time, wives were expected to submit to their husbands. At that time, at the time when, when the letter to the Ephesians was written, when the Romans were in power, it was just normal that wives would submit to their husbands. There was no question about it. And if a wife did not want to submit to her, to her husband, there were not really very many options for her. In fact, a wife could have been killed if she did not submit to her husband. And so, like I said, seemingly, it does not seem that all that countercultural. But when we consider what Christian submission is, then Paul is actually calling for something very countercultural. Because think about it, the, the wives of the Romans, the wives of the unbelieving uh, Romans and Greeks and, and Gentiles, they had to submit to their husbands because they didn't have any other option. They had to submit to their husbands because if they didn't, then they could be killed or, or they would be thrown on the streets. And, and it, you know, it was more of a self-preservation type thing where they just had to do it. But Paul here is saying wives voluntarily and out of love and out of obedience for Christ, submit to your husbands. Not because you have to, not because that's the thing that will help you self-preservate, but because out of your love and your reverence and your fear of Christ, you must voluntarily and lovingly yield to your husband. Christian submission is rooted in love. The submission of the unbelievers, they submit because they don't have any other alternative or, be, or they do it out of duty. And ultimately it's just a selfish and sin, sinful motivation. But Christian submission is rooted in love, is rooted in love for Christ and love for your husband. Because Christians understand that Jesus is their Lord. They willingly and lovingly su submit to Jesus and to whom Jesus has placed as their head and authority. When we look at the book of Genesis, we see that one of the consequences of the fall, right? When Adam and Eve fall, when they eat of the forbidden fruit, they sin against God and there's consequences for, for Adam, there's consequences for Eve, there's consequences for the serpent. But one of the consequences that are given to, to the woman is that her desire would be against her husband. And so, you know, I was asking Elena, like, okay, well, like, in what ways do you, in what ways is your desire against your husband? Like, do you, do you want to kill me or something? And of course not, that's not, she doesn't want to kill me. At least she didn't say that. So we're, we're good. But um, the thing that she said is that there is this like almost innate tendency to contradict. There's this, there's this innate tendency to go against what I say. You know, if I say, hey, we should put the table here, there's this tendency of saying, no, we should put the table over here. And now Elena's laughing because we actually had that conversation, but I was the one who contradicted. So maybe I'm the one who has the, uh, the, the innate tendency to contradict. But the point is, it is a part of the curse of sin that wives will have a struggle submitting to their husbands. It is a consequence of the fall. Now, it is also a consequence of the fall that husbands will, will lord it over their wives, that husbands, unfortunately, will be bad leaders. 
right? This is a consequence of sin. A consequence of sin is that husbands will be bad leaders. And a consequence of sin is that, is that wives will have a hard time submitting to their husbands. And so Paul is here teaching us the opposite of that, right? He is saying, well, because these are consequences of the fall, I am teaching you what the Christian household is supposed to look like. In the Christian household, the wife is to willingly and lovingly submit to her husband. And then he's going to get to the husbands. And we'll get to that later. But I do want to touch on a couple more things here. Today, obviously, this command is the more countercultural part. But um, in that society, the, the countercultural aspect was that wives would voluntarily and lovingly submit to their husbands. And what Paul is saying here is that this is an illustration of the gospel. This is an illustration of the submission that the church has for Christ, right? He says in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let me tell you uh, a little anecdote. And this was really surprising uh, uh, for me. We, like, we had a conversation with a friend and this has, I've never heard of anything like this happening and I never expected that it would happen to me. But we were having a conversation with a friend and um, this friend, their dad was visiting from out of town. And, and so they wanted us to, to meet their dad. And so uh, it was Elena and I and another Christian couple. And our friend's dad is uh, someone who is very devout in his religion. And so Elena and I didn't really think much of it. You know, we just wanted to meet our friend's dad and, and wanted to hang out with them. Um, the, the evening ended and we didn't think much of it. But then later our friend came to us and told us that their dad was um, really surprised about the way that Elena and, and the other couple's wife, um, about the way that they respect their husbands. Like he was extremely surprised about this. And he was especially surprised because in his own marriage, that was not the case. His wife is not uh, respectful or submissive of him, but he was just so surprised that, you know, in these evangelical Christians, because, you know, he, he doesn't think that evangelicals are as, as religious as he is. But for him, the surprising thing is that these evangelical Christian wives would actually submit to their husbands or would be respectful to their husbands. And so obviously Elena and I were not expecting that at all because we were not, we didn't have a conversation ahead of time to say, hey, let's make sure you're super submissive so that we're a testimony to this guy, right? We were just living our normal lives. And so I would say, you know, to the glory of God, this guy was able to see something different. And so I go back to, these are not just uh, uh, random commands that God gives for how the household should work just because. The, but the reason God is giving these commands, the reason God has designed marriage to work in this way is so that he can display the glory of the gospel to the world. And so wife, if you are struggling to submit to your husband, maybe I hope that this story will will stir you on in, into thinking and saying, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit to my husband. I'm going to be respectful to my husband. I'm not going to speak evil of him or, or ill of him, or I'm not going to be disrespect, disrespectful to him so that the world can see how the church submits to Christ. So that the world can see that believers, when they are transformed by the gospel, when they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they are different than the world. Now, I do want to say something briefly about, uh, about singles, right? Because I think that single people could read this passage and say, well, that's nice. I'm glad you have a spouse, but uh, this doesn't apply to me. 
But one of the things that I want you to notice is that Paul is weaving the gospel all over this passage. The gospel is impossible to miss in this passage. In fact, when you read the passage, it almost sounds like Paul, like, can't decide what he's talking about. Is he talking about marriage or is he talking about the church, right? Because he gives something about marriage, but then he starts talking about Jesus. And then he's like, well, but actually, let me go back to what I was saying originally. And so in this particular case, in verse 23, he says, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. And so whether you are a man or a woman, whether you are married or single, if you belong to the body of Christ, it means that Christ is your savior. If Jesus has saved you, if he has, if he has called you to himself, if you have trusted in him as your savior, then it means that you get the privilege to be a member of his body. And that is extremely good news, especially as we talk about the responsibilities of the husbands and the example of Jesus in loving the church. Now, there is one more thing I want to say, and then we will move on to the husbands. One of, my, one of the challenges for me in this particular passage is where it says in verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And I think that in everything is for it, for me, that's, that's the challenging part, right? Because I'm sure that many of us are wondering right now, well, but what about abusive husbands? And I think that that, that is an extremely important topic. However, it's a huge topic that we're not going to develop right now. But I do want to say a few things. The, 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 the factors to take into consideration is that the Bible never condones abuse. Right? The Bible and God never condone abuse. In fact, God hates abuse. God hates abusive leaders. God sent prophets in the Old Testament to speak out against abusive leaders. The other thing that we know is that God is an avenger and he loves his children and he has a special love for those who are victims, for those who are suffering. Another thing that we know from scripture, and this is, this might be maybe a little bit on the other side, but First Peter says that wives should submit to their husbands even if their husbands do not obey God. So you could see how this, is, this, this gets complicated, right? So are you saying, Peter, that wives should submit to husbands that are not believers? I think he's saying that. Are you saying, Peter, that, that wives should submit to their husbands even if they are disobedient of God? I think so, as long as wives are not engaging in sin. But here's another thing. At the time that these letters were written, and as I mentioned earlier, there were not really many alternatives for people who were suffering abuse, right? At the time that these letters were written, the wife did not really have that much of an alternative other than endure being in a bad relationship. At the time that these letters were written, a slave didn't have much of an alternative other than endure being with an abusive master. And so 1 Peter is all about encouraging believers who cannot get out of a situation of suffering and is encouraging them in saying, are you suffering unjustly? Well, guess what? The Lord Jesus also suffered unjustly. And so it is, a, it is a beautiful and glorifying thing to God when you are suffering unjustly, not because God rejoices in that unjust suffering. Remember, God is a God who will avenge his children. But at the same time, while we live in this world, in this imperfect world, Peter is saying to wives and, and, and others who are under abusive circumstances, he is saying, don't, give up. 
God is pleased by your sacrifice. Now, at the same time, today, we don't live under those same circumstances. Today, we don't live in the circumstances where it is impossible for a wife to escape an abusive relationship. And so what I want to say right now, well, you know, again, this is a huge topic, but what I do want to say is that if you are a wife who is in an abusive relationship, my encouragement for you is to get out of it. I would never quote scripture and say, well, the Bible says that you have to submit to your husband, even if he's abusing you. So stay in that relationship and let him abuse you. I would never encourage you to do that. And, and I think that there's a, there's a verse in scripture that should be taken into consideration here. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is talking about how we are free, how we, are, we have our freedom in Christ. And then he's saying, remain in the same way that you were called. If you were a slave when you were called, stay a slave. If you were single when you were called, stay single. But then he says something key. He says, if you have the ability to gain your freedom, then avail yourself of it. In other words, even though it is a commendable thing to suffer and to sacrifice yourself because you are imitating your Lord and suffering unjustly, Paul is saying, if you can get yourself out of a bad situation, do it. And so that would be my encouragement for you. And I would even invite you, if you are in an abusive relationship, please come talk to me, come talk to Jordan, uh, come talk to Elena, to Amy, and we will help you. We will look into it and we will try to do our best to help you. So that's, that's uh, just a little, I don't know, a little something, a little disclaimer. But now let's go to the husbands. I mentioned earlier that context is extremely important, right? And so I think it is extremely important for us to realize that the command for wives to submit to their husbands is given in the context of a command for the husbands to love their wives. These two cannot be separated, right? We, of course, we live in an imperfect world, but this passage is giving us an ideal for the Christian marriage. Elena and I started reading a book. Uh, the book is basically on intimacy, on sex. And it has, it has a lot of really interesting and a lot of really good things. One of the things that, that caught my attention is that this book goes on to uh, re- look into some of the traditional Christian books on marriage and on sex that were written several years ago. And one of the things that they notice is that they kind of tend to put a lot of the burden on the wife. They tend to put a lot of the, of the blame and the burden on the wife. And men are pretty much described as these ravenous animals that have to have their needs met. And therefore, if they are in sin, if they're looking at porn or they're doing something that is evil, then it's the, it's the wife's fault because she's not doing what she's supposed to. And so, you know, the people writing this particular book are trying to, to correct that and say, no, that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. Now, Unfortunately, we also found some things in the book that we were not in, in agreement. And so while I think that they were able to identify some of the problem, unfortunately, I don't think that they were able to come up with the right cause for the problem. And so one of the things that they advocate for is to pretty much abandon gender roles, right? They see the problem of some abuse that has happened and their solution is to abandon gender roles. And so I think that that is taking the wrong approach, right? Because the Bible upholds gender roles. And this is not just a cultural thing. This is, this is a, something rooted in creation that God created man and male and female differently. And so I don't think that the solution to abuse in the past is to completely abandon gender roles. I actually think that the problem, or, or let me put it this way. I don't think that the problem is that these older books taught on, on, you know, wives submitting to their husbands. I think the problem is that they only taught that wives should submit to their husbands. And they didn't spend much time focusing on husbands love 
your wives. And not just any definition of love that we put into it, but love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, that is the standard. And as you know, those of you that, that received my email and read it, saw that's, for me, that's probably the biggest challenge. It's just looking at a passage like this where I know that I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church and just thinking about my shortcomings. Just thinking how far I am from, from loving my wife as Christ loves the church. Whereas a command for wives to submit to their husbands might have not been that shocking to the Greco-Roman culture at the time, this command of husbands to love their wives sacrificially was extremely revolutionary and countercultural. In the Greco-Roman culture, wives were pretty much property. In the Greco-Roman culture, as I said, if a wife rebelled against her husband, she could be killed for it. In the Greco-Roman culture, you, you didn't have to be faithful to your wife. In the Greco-Roman culture, wives were pretty much objects where husbands could just satisfy their lust. And so what Paul is saying here is extremely countercultural. He is saying, husbands, yes, your wife should submit to you, but you should love your wife as Christ loves the church. And he gave himself up for her. That is the standard. So he gives several reasons for this, or, or, or he gives the outcome for uh, what happened when, when Christ loved the church. And so I want to touch on these and uh, hopefully gather some implications for us as well. In verse 26, Paul explains that Jesus gave himself up for the church, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. When you think of loving your wife, what comes to mind? Bringing her flowers? I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong to bring flowers, but that seems kind of simplistic when you think about what Jesus' love for the church looks like, right? The, the goal of Jesus or, or the goal of Jesus' love for the church is that the church, his bride would be sanctified. And so I think the main challenge for us husbands is is your goal for your wife that she would be sanctified? Now, let's not deceive ourselves. Let's not for a moment think, oh, okay, so I, I'm, I'm Jesus in this relationship and it's my job to sanctify my wife. No. No, you yourself need to be sanctified. You need Jesus to sanctify you. But at the same time, we as husbands, we do have the responsibility to promote the holiness of our wives. We as husbands, because we are the head of our family, because we are the head of our household, we will be held accountable for the holiness of our family. Yes, each person is responsible to God, but because we men have the role of leading our families, we will be held accountable. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it was Eve that, that, that took the fruit, right? And it was Eve that gave the, the, the fruit to Adam. Who does God hold accountable? It's Adam. God comes to Adam and says, Adam, where are you? Adam, what is it that you did? And then Adam goes on to blame the wife, right? And blame God in the process. He says, well, the woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit. So men, we are, we are going to be accountable for the holiness of our family. And therefore, if you really want to love your wife, the best thing that you can do is to promote her holiness is to prioritize uh, 
to prioritize reading the word of God, to prioritize praying together. If you want to love your wife, it is your, it is your, uh, uh, your, your duty to not make your wife participate into things that are sinful. And by that, I mean like maybe saying, hey, let's watch this show. It's okay. Even though maybe your wife's conscience is, is not good with it. Or if you say words that your wife's conscience might not be good with it, but you're just using them and eventually she starts using them as well. And, you know, we, we can go on and talk about examples, but I think you get the point. The point is that if you want to love your wife, it is your job to promote her holiness. Just like God washed us, just like God purified us, just like God is working in us and is making us holy and he is washing us uh, with the washing of water, with the word, with the gospel, with the Bible, then husband, it is your job to teach the word to your family, to lead your family in worship. In verse 27, he says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. It is interesting here that this word splendor is actually glory. In other words, Jesus was glorifying or he, he, what, he is glorifying the church. He is presenting the church to himself in glory, honorable. Husband, are you doing that with your wife? Are you presenting your wife uh, uh, glorious? How do you speak about your wife in front of your friends? What things do you say to your wife? Are you bringing glory and honor to her? Or are you putting her down? Are you reminding her of the worth that she has because she is created in the image of God? Are you reminding her of the worth that she has because she has been saved and washed by the blood of Jesus? Or are you constantly reminding her of her shortcomings and the things that she's doing wrong? This, uh, this command is so countercultural that Paul really has to develop more or has to argue for it a little bit more, right? Notice the difference. Like he only has a few words to say about the wives and he has a lot of words to say about the husband or to the husbands. And so he gives another argument here in verse 28. He says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. In Leviticus, God said, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus affirmed that in the gospels. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And that is, yeah, I mean, that is an incredible exhortation for love, right? Like, how do you trump that? How do you, how do you trump the command to love someone as you love yourself? Because ultimately the person that you love the most is you. But Paul here is taking it even a step further with your spouse. He is saying, not only love your wife as yourself, but love your wife because she is actually the same flesh with you. Love your wife as you would love your body because ultimately she is also your body. That's how deep marriage is. Marriage is, is, is not a human institution. It's not something that a, that a man made up. Marriage is a God-given institution. And the way that God planned marriage is that you would be one flesh with your wife. I've met so many people that the only reason why they're still together is because of their kids. 
right? And they they say things like, you know, it's just that my kids are my my number one priority, and and you know, my kids, I they are my treasure and everything, and everything. I'm not saying you shouldn't love your kids. I love my kids; they're amazing. Marcus, I love you. But uh, but the relationship that you have with your wife, the relationship that you have with your husband, is way, way, way deeper and stronger than the one you have with your kids or with your parents, right? That's why it says, and a man shall leave his father and his mother. Don't bring your mom to your, to your, you know, into your marriage. Yes, you can love your parents, but now that you have been joined with your wife, you two are one flesh. Your spouse is your number one priority, not your children. That's one of the things we tell our kids. Mom and I are on the same team. Do not try to divide us. We are on the same team. We are one. And so this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, husbands, love your wives because you are one with your wife. Just like you love your body and just like you nourish your body, just like you feed yourself, just like you take care of yourself, just like if you, if you hurt yourself, you take care of, of yourself, that's how you should love your wife. Are you extremely tired and you just came back from work and all you want to do is sit on the couch and just veg for a few minutes looking at the phone? Well, maybe your wife does too. Maybe your wife is just as tired as you are. Have you been working so hard that you feel like you could really use a massage? Your wife could use a massage too. Right? When, you, when you think of your wife as your own body, that helps you to love her, right? Because you realize, wow, like, yes, this is, this is my flesh. That's what Adam says when he sees Eve for the first time, right? Behold, this is, uh, I can't remember the exact quote, this is uh, bones from my bones and flesh from my flesh or something along those lines. And then Paul goes back to the gospel. Again, it almost seems like he still can't decide what exactly, if he's talking solely about husbands and wives or if he's talking about the gospel. And so in verse 32, he says, this mystery is profound. And then when it's like, okay, what mystery? Which one are you talking about? And he says, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Ultimately, the mystery that Paul is referring to is the relationship between Christ and the church. And this is, again, where single people can, can look at this passage and completely embrace it. Because whether you might not have a spouse right now, if you trust in the Lord Jesus, if you ask him to save you, to make you a member of his body, then it means that you get to be a member of the bride of Christ. And that is the mystery that marriage points to. We don't just hold to gender roles because that's just what we were taught and that's just tradition. No. We hold to these roles because they are God-given and because this is how the gospel, this is one way that the gospel is displayed. When the world sees that a husband is loving his wife, when the world sees that a wife is submitting to his husband, then the world sees the gospel. The world sees the love of Christ displayed. The world sees people, two sinners who are filled with the spirit of God and are therefore submitting to one another out of reverence and fear for God. So, you know, verse 33, bottom line, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. But I believe again, and I want to finish with this, that the mystery that he's talking about is the gospel. And why is it so important? Well, because apart from Christ, wife, apart from Christ, you cannot submit to your husband. Apart from Christ, all you will feel towards your husband will be contempt, will be uh Sorry, not con content, no, contempt, yes. 
Um, apart from Christ, you will feel this innate urge to contradict. But when you look at Christ, the perfect husband, even if you have not that great of a husband for not saying something else, even if you have a bad husband, you can look at Christ and say, I am submitting to Christ. He is my Lord. He is, he is my master. He is, he is my husband. And therefore I can submit to the husband that he has given me. Or husband, you might look at your own shortcomings. You might look at your own failure as a husband, but when you look at Christ, when you realize that you are a member of his bride, that he has loved you perfectly, that he has given his life for you, then you will have the power, the strength, the supernatural power to love your wife, to sacrifice yourself for her, to prioritize her holiness to honor her, to, to, to present her glorious. And single men and women, when you look at the love of Christ, you might feel right now like, you know, if only I could be in a relationship, if only I could experience this love that you're talking here about in marriage. Well, let me tell you something. You can actually experience something better in the love of Christ. The love that Christ has for you, the sacrificial love that God has displayed for you in Christ is so much better and so much greater than marriage. Don't get me wrong. Marriage is incredible. I love marriage. But don't believe the lie that if you are not married, you cannot be fulfilled or you cannot experience love or any of those things. Because if you are in Christ, you have already experienced the greatest love that there is, which is the love of Christ for you that he showed when he gave himself up for you on the cross. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he is the perfect husband. We thank you that he loved us and he gave himself up for us on the cross. Lord, we pray that you give us strength, that you fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, so that we can fulfill the role that you have given us and that we could display the glory of your gospel to the world. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice that we get to remember. In Jesus' name, amen.